Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about what I feel is the call of God or one of the calls of God for this house, legacy. And uh, I was talking to uh, Pastor Lyle last night, and I said, hey, man, I feel like I have a prophetic word for this house. Even as I was flying over uh, to Nashville last night, I was, or actually um, two nights ago, I arrived yesterday morning. Uh, I felt the Lord, you know, put some things in my heart. And uh, later on, I, I realized a lot of my messages intertwined with this word of God that I feel for this house. So right off the bat, Lyle, I just, I just saw multi-campuses in Nashville. And I know we've talked about this, but I feel like you're more than, you know, you're, you're closer to that than you think. And there's just going to be an influx of just finances for that. And it has to do also with Christian education, which I know you're doing. But it won't stop with K through 12. You know, I believe it's going to expand. And also I see it in the nations. And so I, I believe the Lord is actually, even with legacy, uh, although you have been such a good steward of Nashville, and I know you carry that, it's a burden of the Holy Spirit, I believe also the Lord is going to go take different places in the nation, besides Nashville and Kentucky, in the nation, but also a key piece will be a global missions, missional movement. How do you live local church missionally? Because you're a hybrid. And so you're a hybrid of mission work, you're a hybrid of local church, you're a hybrid of revival. So there's a hybrid of revival and reformation to the house. There is what we call the glocal, local and global, glocal. So that's, that's the tension in your heart, and it's a Holy Spirit tension. And so there's revival, reformation, there's global, there's local, there is multiculturalism. And so it's not one demographic, it's multi-demographics that the Lord's placed in here, and it's multi-spheres as well. So I feel that in the next season, a lot of open doors in the business, and then after business will be politics. And so I really believe that, that the Lord's giving you authority over church sphere and creativity, the arts. But the next sphere is, is business, and then after that, it'll be politics. And, and uh, when you hit politics, reformation peace kicks in. And so it, it, and it'll be very biblically based. And so the thing about it, too, is this house walks and stewards attention of spirit and truth. How do you flow in the spirit? How do you commit it to the truth? Power and the word. And so I feel, you know, just to say that I'm so proud as I'm walking through these years as my brother to see you guys are stewarding these tensions. And it's building this amazing, beautiful community. And so I want to speak into that even as we look into the word, because we all are hungry for revival. But the thing that we need to ask is, what is revival? So today I just want to bring a little bit of just a, a paradigm as we look at the word and as we look at stories of church history, what is revival? You see, the thing about um, us is, um, when I say us, because I see some of the, the Deutimus crew here, we're based in Brazil or we're out of Brazil. And uh, if you skip geography class, we are in South America, and Brazil is a neighboring nation to Argentina, and Brazil also neighbors up north, Colombia, and these two nations have experienced the move of God over the last three decades, and so when we talk about revival from our uh, end of the world, we're looking at 
um, these two other places as a background saying, they experienced revival, what are we experiencing? Because many people will say, hey, you guys are experiencing revival, and I would question, what's revival for you? Because if, depending on your definition of revival, yeah, maybe we are experiencing revival. Brazil is a nation of 210 million people, so it's, it's a populous nation, not as populous as America, but 210 million. Out of the 210 million, 70 to 75 million profess to be Protestant Christians. And that's fruit of missionaries that came out of America. In 1880s, the Presbyterians arrived in, America, uh, in Brazil and also the Baptists. In 1890, uh, they, uh, the, the Methodists arrived. And after that, they began uh, uh, the mission work, and they really focused on education and, and building health clinics and building churches. And then with the Azusa Street Revival, there were two Swedish missionaries. Now, check this out. This is really cool. Two Swedish missionaries or young, young men that heard about Azusa Street Revival, they left Sweden and went to L.A. to catch the fire. And so they caught the fire, and as they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Azusa Street in L.A., they heard the Lord say, go take it to Brazil. They had never been to Brazil, and they landed in the north of Brazil in the Amazon region, and the Pentecostalism spread throughout the land. And so that's since 1908, 1909. And so since then, uh, the biggest demographic of Protestant Christians are Pentecostals in Brazil. But the thing is, what is revival? Because it's not only numbers. Now, it involves numbers, but that's not just, it's not just numbers. So as we look at the word, Acts 2, and I'm just going to go through a few verses. So if you want to just take notes, maybe uh, you'll be able to open the word with me and read it. If not, if I skip to the other one, just take notes and we'll keep going. So someone once said that revival is his arrival. And I love that definition. Because revival has to do with the Lord just interrupting your routine. It has to do with the Lord just landing like a plane lands on a landing strip. He just lands into your world. And um, you may start feeling it beforehand or it may just catch you by surprise. Well, it caught them by surprise in Acts chapter 2 because there's a word there that says suddenly. All of a sudden, boom, it happens. And so, yeah, we prepare ourselves for that. We don't have a way to guarantee it's coming. But you know what? We'll do our best to give him the conditions for him to come. And when he arrives, his arrival, we have revival. And it talks about that in Acts 2, verse 2, that there was a violent wind, a sound of a violent wind that barges into this house, the upper room, as they were seated. You know, the Lord Jesus would talk about that in the Lord's Prayer. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this movement of heaven to earth has to do with revival. It's arrival. And, and, and that is the cry of God's, uh, uh, the, the cry of heart of, the, of God's people. It's not, Lord, take me away from this earth, but Lord, would you invade my earth? You know, this escapist mentality, this fatalism, that says, hey, we're we going to just lock ourselves in a basement and just wait till the Lord comes back. And I believe he's coming. But what I'm saying is, are you really going to bet your life on that? Why don't you go to school? Why don't you work? Go, go, you know, start a business, get married, have a family, you know, build curriculums. I mean, go and may he catch you if he comes back when you're alive. May he catch you working. Occupy until he comes back. And as you occupy, you will find it's much easier to do God's work when he arrives. So you'll have a heart for revival. And as you have a heart for revival, you'll start praying the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and all, not only the Lord's Prayer, Isaiah 64, verse 1. 
if you, you have the, the Bible there also, you should have that underlined. It's, it's a cry of prophet Isaiah saying, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. You know, when you ha- carry that passion, Lord, please rend the heavens, come down, and may you come to the point where the mountains will quake. They will shake at your presence. That's the kind of revival that we need. We, we, we crave for that kind of revival. So when we talk about revival, wh- what are some signs of revival according to church history and according to the word? And not only just what God's doing here, but what is God doing across the nations, across, you know, uh, uh, the years since the upper room uh, uh, episode happened of the Holy Spirit coming down? What has the Lord done? Well, I'll say that one of the first signs of revival is that it begins with the church. And you'll see that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, when Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus. And he's saying, hey, now, church of Ephesus, you've done a lot of stuff. But there's one thing that I I feel you need to watch out for. And this is what I hold against you. You have lost your first love. Which means you could be very experienced in church. You could be very well established as a Christian culture. But if you lose your first love, he's going to call that out. And he says, hey, you have lost your first love, Revelations 2, verse 4, if you're taking notes. And and that's something that he is saying not to the world, he's saying to the church. And so when we talk about revival, don't expect revival coming up in the next elections because it's not coming from Washington, D.C. When we talk about revival, forget Wall Street. Oh, they're talking about recession. Don't worry about it because that, you know, revival does not depend on the economy. Revival does not depend on Hollywood. Revival depends on the church. Why? It begins in the house of God. So it begins with us. So we need to take responsibility. Does that make sense? How many of you here are familiar with the seven spheres of society strategy? Anybody here has heard uh, uh, the seven spheres? It's become more popular uh, through Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham. And they started bringing language to something that's been there since the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. How do you disciple a nation? Well, you really bring the gospel of the kingdom into the spheres or the foundations of a society. And if you look at a society in general, you're looking at the sphere of religion or church, the sphere of family, the sphere of education, the sphere of business or economy, the sphere of politics or government or the public arena, the sphere of communication, and the sphere of arts, entertainment, or celebration, which involves sports. So any society, you'll see primarily these seven spheres upholding it. And so when we talk about we want to see revival, many people are looking at to the power spheres, and I would make or highlight two of them, which is money and politics. And it's very tempting if you think about it, because if you get multi-billionaires saved, I mean, you'll see quick changes. Think about it. If you elect a, you know, a, a, a person of integrity, a biblically based president or Congress people or senators or, or Supreme Court justices, you'll probably see a lot of impact real quick in society. So there's a temptation there. But these are the power spheres. You're talking about politics, power. You're talking about money, economy. So, I mean, you, you could have access with money. So, these two power spheres, yes, they're very powerful. However, the probability of corruption in the two spheres, very high. Very high. And if you look at church history, you will see that the moves of God that sustain the longest did not depend on these two spheres. 
They actually came from the base of society, which are three other spheres, church, family, education. So when we don't do a good job with these three basic spheres of church, family, and education, we try to get a shortcut by electing somebody that's actually going to preach a morality that I never preached at my dinner table. And so we end up doing these things without even noticing. I would say, hey, if I could actually get a multi-billionaire to fund my next campus, no, no, why don't we teach about biblical finance and get everybody involved in a culture of generosity that'll impact everybody's personal lives, that'll impact the families, it'll impact the church community. And so what we've done without even realizing is we're, we're going for power spheres, not understanding that throughout church history, it begins in the church of God. It begins in the house of the Lord. And so that's why 2 Chronicles is so key for us. Chapter 7, verse 14, you know this verse. It says, if my people who are called by my name, say with me, I am called by the name of Jesus. So that involves you. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. If they will humble themselves, say with me, humility, and pray and seek my face. See, the, the effectiveness of your pursuit of God the effectiveness of your prayer life depends on humility. There's an order here, and it's not a coincidence. The Lord purposely put it in this order. He says, you shall humble yourselves, and then you will pray and seek. Because many people are willing to pray and seek. But are we willing to humble ourselves? So the effectiveness of our prayer and of our pursuit is dependent on our humility. It's a posture of heart. It's a posture of saying, Lord, I am not self-sufficient. Even though I have money, even though I may have education, even though I have privilege, I am not self-sufficient. There are certain things that my money won't fix, my education won't fix. There are certain things that my, my connections won't fix. I depend in your, on your arrival. Would you interrupt my routine? Would you invade my city? Would you come into my family? Would you revive my community? That posture is humility. Saying, Lord, I need you. If you don't come, and I'll tell you, the safest place for you to be is in a place where you say, if you don't interrupt my life, my life will be a disaster. That place is faith-filled place. All you can do is have faith. All you can do is have faith in that circumstance. And so when we talk about 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, if they will pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, heal, hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now, this is, this is also what Apostle Peter was speaking on in Acts chapter 3. And he was saying, if you will repent, convert your hearts, times of refreshing. I don't know about you, but I could use some times of refreshing. Times of refreshing will come upon you. How many of you are praying for times of refreshing upon Nashville, upon your family, upon your community, right? Times of refreshing. And he says, well, it comes with repentance and conversion of whole heart. And so when we think about repentance, that's always been a key thing in the house of God prior to the arrival of God in the house of God. Repentance, repentance. You know, so and you may think, well, but I'm not living in sin, Tao. Well, I get it. You may be in a place where you have a repentance because of an event. I sinned, now I need to repent. There's a 180 degree. That's what happened in the revival of Korea. I was speaking to the first service saying that I remember as a kid, 
You know, I'm, I am not Korean. I am uh, Japanese-Brazilian. But um, I remember my mom, I was five, six years old. She said, I am flying to Korea, and we're going to check out this nation, called, uh, this church called Yoido Full Gospel, and uh, it's the largest church in the world. I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. So she flew out there. I remember her bringing back pictures. And at the time, I'm talking like in the late 80s, at the time, it was close to uh, 500,000 people meeting in one location. Think about it, half a million in one location. I'm not talking a denomination. I'm talking one church, one location. I'm like, how do you, how do you, it's like they're having services 24-7, in and out, in and out, in and out. Huge place. I was there preaching two years ago. Huge place. And then they're like bumping services in and out. And so she comes back, these pictures, these stories, and, and it's, it's awesome to hear these stories. But if you trace back the move of God in Korea, you'll take it all the way back to 1907. So what we known as the Pyongyang Revival. At the time, there was only one Korea, no South, North Korea, just one Korea. And if you know your church history, you know, or, or your U.S. history, you know there was the Korean War, and, uh, but the Lord was moving even before and after the Korean War. And it all happened because, remember, 1907, there's a move of God happening in L.A., in California, Azusa Street. There's a move of God happening in Wales, in the U.K., Remember that, the Welsh revival? And there's also revival happening in India. That's not much talked about, but it was so, just as powerful as the other two. And, and the thing about the revival in India was that the Western missionaries that were leading that were connected to the Western missionaries that were in Korea. And so they started take, uh, sending letters and telling stories, and they started having faith if God could do it in India, if God is doing it in Wales, if God is doing it in California, he could do it here in Korea. So this was like close to Christmas or December 1906. They said, why don't we repent and go to prayer? So they started praying, and they went through a prayer meeting that never ended. They prayed through Christmas. They said, you know what, forget Christmas. We'll just pray through Christmas. And they prayed in through the New Year's. And when it hit January 14, 1907, in one of the prayer meetings, one of the elders gets up and he says, I need, I, I want to say something. So he comes to the front and he says, I need to confess a sin. He says, my best friend, who was one of the elders that was leading the church there in Pyongyang, had passed away a few years ago. And he asked me in his deathbed that I would take care of his family and the finances of his family. I've been stealing money from my friend's family. I confess my sin. So he repents in front of everybody. Boom, this revival starts breaking out. People are like, I need to confess my sin. I need to confess my sin. So people are lining up to confess sin, and suddenly, revival. So what am I saying? Repentance precedes revival. But you may think, well, I don't, I'm not stealing money from anybody. I'm not in adultery. I'm not stuck in pornography. Why would I repent? Because you have to see two perspectives of repentance. There is one perspective of the event. When you sin, you need to repent. But there's the other perspective that Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that word right there is metanoia, which is repentance. So your transformation is based off a lifestyle of repentance. That's what he's saying. Say, so if you actually say, Lord, every morning when I get up, I'm going to open the word. And as the word confronts me my mind will be renewed. How, how, do, how does that happen in practical terms? Well, you were 
doctrinated or educated maybe by a university, by a public school system, or by your family tradition, or by friends around you or society around you, and maybe they did teach you the word, or maybe they did not teach you the word, but once you get in the word and you're reading and you're saying, oh, this is what the Bible says about sexuality, this is not what they taught me in university, now what do you have? A clash, right? And when you say, Lord, I want to repent, you're saying, I want to invite the clash. So you have the word of God clashing with secular lies. And you say, Holy Spirit, search me. Is there in me anything that is not according to your word? Bring alignment, Holy Spirit. That clash is the renewal of the mind. Does that happen in an instant? No, it's a lifestyle. Every morning, every morning, every morning. I remember one of the key conversations I've had in the last decade was with one of my faith heroes called Lauren Cunningham. Probably one of the, probably the most crucial, important, powerful conversation I had in my last 10 years of ministry was this conversation after the San Brazil. We had three packed out stadiums. One day, over 160,000 people spread out throughout the stadiums, 2.2 million people viewing live. He was there on stage with me. And after the whole thing was done, he pulled me to the side. He said, this is all amazing. But this is what he says. I have something to tell you. I'm like, yes, sir. And he goes, if you don't engage these people in the word, you won't even pack out a gym in seven years. I said, I mean, what do you mean? So he went on to talk about biblically or biblical engagement. And so I remember we spent, um, our family lived in uh, Kona, Hawaii for, uh, for the year 2021. And so we got to spend a lot of time together having amazing conversations. And everything this man talked about was biblical engagement. It's like you need to have Bible in the foundation or else you will not sustain a move of the spirit. And, and you know, people that know Lauren know that he, he actually would, you know, he's, been, he's gone to be with the Lord uh, late um, last year. But uh, for people that actually walked with him, they would, tell, they would say, he actually talks in parables sometimes, you know. And so I would be talking about something. And he says, hey, let me just tell you about this story. I say, yes, sir. And he says, there was a Korean young man that became one of my best friends. His name was Yonggi Cho. I'm like, oh, yeah, my mom went to his church back in the 80s. Yo, you the full gospel. He's like the big church. He's like, yeah. But the first time I went to speak for Youngie Cho, I went there and he had 7,000 members. I said, really? Second time I went, he had 70,000 members. And he says, last time I went, he had 700,000 members. Said, but when Youngie Cho began the church, he began in a tent and Korea was worse than a third world nation. It, it was pretty much open sewage. It was actually more impoverished than Cambodia, he said, because this was post-Korean War. And he says he knew the only way that that society would actually pick up would be through biblical engagement and prayer. And so he started putting biblical engaged, engagement inside the, the, the church life and prayer inside the church life. So he's telling me about this thing, and I'm like, I think he's trying to communicate something to me. That we will not see a move of God until we put Bible at the foundation. Think about the Bible as the landing strip and think about the move of the spirit as the plane that comes and lands on it. Does that make sense? So when you see that, you're starting to see that there is a pattern in the word. So one of the first things that you see is repentance could be for the event, but repentance is a lifestyle constantly. Wasn't that what John the Baptist preached about? He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's coming preparing the way, isn't he? John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Messiah. And he said, hey, if you don't change your mind, the kingdom of God is going to come. He's going to walk right in front of you and you won't even notice it. 
Because the Lord can't come and he can't arrive and you will not notice it unless you've had a mind that's been renewed, going through repentance as a lifestyle. And so when we talk about a church that is beginning revival, it's a church awakened, a church in repentance, a church that is coming back to its first love. And when you're coming back to the first love, I mean, you could care less about time. You're just about the presence. You don't care about programming. You're just about the presence. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, in a, in a position or in a situation where the Holy Spirit arrives and interrupts your routine. Have you been there? When he comes into your car, when he comes into your, your devotional and then you're late for work, you're late for school, whatever, and you're like, Lord, I could just stay here forever. You're in the kitchen cooking and suddenly Holy Spirit comes, you're like weeping, you're like, what? what's happening here? Have you had those moments? Or is it only me? Come on, you've been there. You're just walking to the park and then suddenly it's kind of like a blanket comes around you, you're weeping. It happens to me when I'm in flights. I put on my soaking music and I'm like, sure, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly, whoo, he invades the flight and I'm weeping. And some, there's been, this happened like twice. Stuart, are you okay? So I'm like, oh, I'm more than okay. And I'm weeping. Do you need anything? I'm like, no, just a tissue. And so I love it when he comes and interrupts us. You know, that, that's, that's a sign of the move of God. So awakening of the saints, that's the first. If you're taking notes or, or if you're just jotting stuff down, the first sign of a, of a revival is the awakening of the saints. It begins in the house of God. It begins with the church coming back to first love. And when the saints get awakened, what happens is you start getting bold, which takes you to the second piece, which is evangelism. Because if you're bold, you will share the gospel. If you're bold, you will pray for the sick. You'll walk into a coffee shop, get a word of knowledge, and you're not thinking about, oh, what are they going to think about me? Because you're bold. There's no spirit of fear. Perfect love has cast out all fear. And now you go be like, hey, man, you don't know me, but like, yo, check this out. I just had this impression. I don't know if this makes sense, boom, 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 and gives it to him. And I, would, I, I talk about it like as if it's the easiest thing, but it, is, it wasn't easy for me. I remember when praying for the sick outside church in a church setting was like one of the things that made me most, most terrified. And I talked to one of my mentors, Randy Clark, and he says, I'll put it to, the, put to you this way. If you get a word of knowledge and you pray for the sick and the person gets healed, the Lord gets the glory. I'm like, that's right. That, that'd be the best scenario, Randy. He says, yes, that's a W for the kingdom, right? I'm like, that's a W for the kingdom. Now, if you get a word of knowledge and you pray for the sick and you actually realize it's not a word of knowledge or... They don't get healed, you will be more humble, right? I'm like, yeah. Is that a W for the kingdom? I'm like, that's a W for the kingdom. So stepping out in faith is a W either way. So you, why don't you just step out in faith? And this is the crazy thing, too, because I was having this conversation with him, and I said, Randy, um, I was, we came back from one of the crusades. I used to, to travel with Randy and do healing crusades. And then we came back from one of these miracle crusades, and I was not happy because I did not see healings. I had not seen miracles. And he looked at me. He says, what's wrong with you? I'm like, oh, no, I just, I'm like, Randy, I prayed for so many people. I didn't see anything happen. And he says, so that's why you're frustrated. I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm frustrated. I, I feel bad. I'm like, yeah, you feel bad. I, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if, I, if something's wrong with me. And he says, well, you know, you, you shouldn't feel that way. He was trying to encourage me. And he says, the same root that feels bad when God doesn't use you is the same root that will feel proud when God uses you. Because it's, at the end of the day, it's about you. It's not about you. Just step out there in faith and do it. Right? And when you get bold, you'll start seeing people come into Christ. That's what happens. So that's the second piece, which is awakening of the saints. And now it's evangelism. Say with me, evangelism. Evangelism will take you to church growth, right? Look at this building. Too small for you guys. 
right? More services. But then you're going to start killing the volunteers, stacking up services, services, services. Y'all need a bigger building. And we're speaking that into existence in Jesus' name. A bigger campus right now in Jesus' name. And so evangelism, church growth. And then after church growth, you start coming to a place where you're thinking, let's plant another church. We've matured to a point where we need to plant churches. And so you do one, and then you do two, and then you do three, and then you're like, we need systems. Because we want to ensure that the same DNA here in the house is out there in the new, newborn campus. And so now you have an apostolic wineskin to contain the apostolic wine, which is flowing here at Legacy. There's an apostolic wine flowing, and the Lord is giving you guys wisdom on how do you build the apostolic wine to not make it contained in a strict way, but also not be loose and, and, and just waste and, and let things just kind of drip out. But the Lord is, 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 you know, looking at you guys and saying you're good stewards of the apostolic wine. And so as you're building systems, also you'll have people that say, hey, I had this thing for Afghanistan. And they'll say, Pastor, what, what do we got going on for in Afghanistan? Oh, we don't have anything in Afghanistan. But why don't we do something? Oh, yeah, let's do something. And so then you start a missions movement. Does that make sense? And what does it look like to have local church in a missional community? And you start wrestling with this thing. And so now it's like expansion, growth. Expanding, it's growing. More people getting saved. Families are being formed. People are meeting each other, getting married. Families, babies, they're being raised up in the, in the Sunday school, biblically, biblical formation. Does that make sense? So, so all of this is revival. But we are yet to see a move of God. And I speak as someone from South America. We are yet to see a move of God in South America that actually began awakening the saints, number one, harvest of the souls, number two, and number three is social transformation. And when we read about church history and when we read about, for instance, the Protestant Reformation, we see that that actually happened in the past. And if you think about it, not trying to get political, but Western civilization is a byproduct of revival unto Reformation. You trace it back to Luther. You trace it back to the Protestant Reformation when they start understanding that the Bible is applicable not only within the four walls of the church, but outside in society. And Luther wasn't the only one. If, you th if, you, if you've read and done your, uh, if you like revival, you'll remember the Great Awakening. And the Great Awakening... When the Great Awakening happened, alcoholism and crime was rampant in the UK. Pedophilia was the norm. At the time, 12 years old was the age of consent. And after the revival, it was bumped up to 18 years old as the age of consent. It was said that in London, every seventh house was a gin house. One, two, three, four, five, seven, a bar. One, two, three, four, five, seven, a bar. And after the Great Awakening Revival, that was switched into churches. If you think about it, that's Reformation. When you're seeing alcoholism drop, crime drop, when you're seeing these crimes, sexual crimes be, uh, dropping. In the Great Awakening, one of my life heroes, faith heroes, William Wilberforce. He gets saved under the preaching of George Whitfield, discipled by John Noon, the, the author of that hymn, Amazing Grace. And John Newton encourages him because, you know, he came from old money, William Wilberforce. He was an aristocrat. He was, you know, he's like a playboy and just living the high life, the good life. And suddenly he came to a point where he felt so empty. And he, he told his pastor, I'm like, I'm empty. Why am I here? And then John Newton said, why don't you pray this prayer before you go to sleep tonight? 
Lord, make me wake up to what hurts in your heart. That night he couldn't sleep, and all he thought about were slaves. And I mean, he never thought about that before, but now he's like getting this, this holy anger against slavery, against the slave trade, and that became his life cause. And for the next three decades, as a British parliament member, he tried to pass laws to eradicate slave trade and slavery and actually was not successful until his last year of life. And it said that he passed on the last bill and was able to pass the, 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 the bill that would eradicate slave, slave trade and slavery and a few months later dies. But what happened? After that happened and the British Empire eradicated slave trade, the French Empire had the, had the pressure now. So the French Empire had to do the same thing. Not only the French Empire, it went across the Atlantic. Now U.S. had to go through the same thing. Not only that, it went down to South America. All the Portuguese and Spanish colonies had to do the same thing. Domino effect, reformation. Does that make sense? And so when we look at, at even like church history, we, we see like, this is an interesting story, and I'll finish with this. The Welsh Revival. The Lord moved so, did you know in the Welsh Revival, in six months, 100,000 salvations. Genuine recorded salvations that were plugged into the local church in six months. And then you may think, well, all right, so the church grew. Not only did the church grow, but there was a social reformation that happened to the point that crime dropped so much in Wales that the police officers were just sitting in the police department with nothing to do. And so they started having to fire police officers. Like, you're just taking up, you know, the state money. We need to get out. We don't have nothing for you to do. And so when I hear these stories... I look at legacy and say, could this be a house of revival unto reformation? Could this be a house where we see a move of God that is not contained within the four walls? And I know you guys are doing it already, but I feel that today, even as we wrap up, and I want to invite you to stand up. I want to pray as we wrap up. I want to invite you to really posture your hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, would you, would you begin awakening my heart? And, and you may think, but I'm on fire for Jesus, and, I, and that's awesome, but there's always more. And so today we just want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you awaken my heart? And Holy Spirit, would you give me a burden for souls, number two? And number three, would you help me dream discipling nations or social reformation? So right now, Holy Spirit, we honor you in this place. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would touch our hearts all the way from the back to the front, even people in the balcony. I ask, Holy Spirit, would you rekindle fires in our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you revive us again? We make the words of Psalms 85 our words. Revive us again, O Lord. Would you restore us right now, Holy Spirit? The first love, I pray that you would provide us this week with holy interruptions. As we're working around the house, as we're walking somewhere out in the streets, driving in our cars, would you interrupt us with your holy presence, yes, 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 yes. with your manifest presence? And some of you will experience this week, it's just the Holy Spirit coming around you, just like some of you are experiencing right now, like a blanket coming around you right now. It's the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. And you won't even know, why am I weeping? It's Holy Spirit. He's rekindling the fire in your heart. He's renewing the first love. And I pray, Father God, that you would give us a burden 
that is burning in your heart, which is souls. Give us souls, we pray. We pray for salvation of family members. We pray, Father God, for salvation of friends, co-workers right now. We pray, Father, give us the burden for nations. Salvation in the 1040 window, in the Muslim world, in the Buddhist world, in the Hindu world. Give us, you know, the Lord wants to put that back in there. You're here looking at a preacher who's coming from Brazil. And God's doing amazing things in Brazil. But I, I am a result and a fruit of the missionaries from the student volunteer movement that came out of America. And I'm believing for another move of missions coming out of America to the nations. Father, would you put a burden for nations in our hearts? Would you put a burden for social transformation in our hearts? For the business sphere? For the educational sphere? For the family sphere? Father, would you allow us to make our dinner tables an extension of our sanctuaries? If you pray in the spirit, just pray in the spirit wherever you are. Would you intensify your fire, your touch right now, Holy Spirit? We need you. We need you. We need you. More, Lord, rekindle our fire this morning. We need you. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.